Amen. You may be seated. Hey, we're going to uh, continue our series, Unlocking Freedom, as we uh, uh, teach through the book of Galatians. Uh, anybody here last week for Jeff Bracken? couple people. Yeah, he killed it. I thought you killed it, Jeff. I <laughs> A couple other people did. That's good. Uh, so he uh, he finished up chapter two for us today. We're going to be in chapter three. If you want to uh, be flipping to your your physical Bible or on your device, whatever it is, finding Galatians three. And um, while you're finding that, uh, there's something else uh, in the midst of all this that uh, we need to celebrate today is ten nine sixteen, which means tomorrow is ten ten sixteen. Which means uh, this weekend, uh, Christ Community Church is going to turn six years old. Yeah, so six years old. I don't know what that means um, other than we're six now. And um, if I parallel that to a six-year-old child, uh, that's probably about what you got right there. So um, it's good. The church turned six. And, um, you know, I, I think uh, what's interesting about the text that we're going to preach today is uh, it might help us to to challenge uh, not just the story of our own personal lives, but maybe the story of our church. Because I think the question that this passage is going to lead us to is, okay, we trust in the goodness of God to save us from our sins. We trust that, right? But do we, as a church, individually, do we trust God to change the story? Do we trust God to change the story? Here's what I mean by that. You know, a lot of times we hear the good news of the gospel that, uh, that Jesus forgives our sins, um, but then we're unable to let go of so many other things that have shaped our story and allow God to change the story. There's a, a big, big Bible word for that called sanctification. You know, you get sanctified. Um, you know, we can call it whatever you want, but do you trust God to change your story? And I think that as we uh, engage in this text, we're going to see that that's the very question Paul was asking the Galatians as he wrote, and maybe the question that we can ask ourselves. So if you would, read along with me in Galatians chapter 3, the first 14 verses, and then we're going to uh, ask God in prayer to speak to us from His Word. It says this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us, I'm going to dig into this today, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your word today. God, we trust that your, your word is living and active and uh, without error. And so, God, we trust in the words that you have given to us in the Bible, and we pray that your spirit would help us to understand them and apply them to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. So um, if you've been around or if you, if you know um, me a little bit, you know that we're moving into a new house, which is a, a fun and crazy time. And um, I, I remember the first night that we spent in the house with the kids, and you're always a little bit worried. I've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old. You're always a little bit worried that um, you're not going to get the kids to be comfortable. And what that means is, for us, four people all in one bed. Um, multiple nights uh, sometimes. <laughs> but we were worried about, you know, are the kids going to be comfortable in their rooms? And so we're doing bedtime routines. We're trying to have them all excited about their rooms, just praying that, you know, you don't hear any weird sounds in the house. So first night in the house, we, we go through the routines. We get the kids in bed. We finally get them asleep. Caitlin and I, we, we, we get ready for bed. And just as we're laying down, I hear it. What is that? Caitlin's like, what was that? I'm like, I have no clue. And I was like, maybe we're just hearing things. You know, it's a new house. You know, whatever. You know, I'm trying to play it off because I'm the man of the house. We're not going to be afraid. So just about the time that I finally get everybody, you know, we're, we're like, okay. We're, you know, we're just hearing things. What is going on? Blake, I want to know what that is. And I was like, Maybe we didn't hear it. <laughs> like Maybe it's not real, right? But on the inside, that's what I'm saying on the outside, because I don't want Caitlin to be afraid, and I, you know, I don't want to have to whatever with all the kids. And I'm like, I don't, you know, and she's like, you walk around this house until you figure out what that noise is. <laughs> and so we're in this dark house. Uh, Caitlin's shivering in bed, and I'm like, waiting to hear it again, right? Finally, as I'm walking around like a little coward around this house, it's a, whatever, I finally realize that it's the toilet in the basement. And it's got this pump on it that pumps the water up. And so every few minutes in our house, we hear... And so I'm able to come back and tell Caitlin... You know, that, well, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's what this is. You know, I'm, I don't know. Maybe it may be something else, but I'm pretty sure that's what it is. But until we figured out that that's what that was, that noise, um, it owned me, right? Like, I was afraid of, of what I was going to find. And, and that fear then dictated the way that I did everything. It dictated the way I walked around the house. It dictated the way I talked to my wife. It, it had taken me captive. I might not have said that on the outside. I wanted to be big and tough and bad on the outside. But on the inside, I'm like, I don't know what that is. And that scares the living daylights out of me. And I think so often in our lives, uh, we realize that the, that the things, the people that make noise in our lives, uh, they actually hold us captive so often. I think back to coaches in my life that understood that if they made noise in my life, if, if they spoke to me a certain way, that, that they had me right where they wanted me. Teachers, bosses, sometimes even family members, that they realized if, if, 
if they got a, a listening ear in my life, that, that they could take me captive in my own fear. That they could take the fears that maybe I inherently had and use them against me and, and become powerful in my life. People use fear for power. I don't I, We're just fallen human beings. I don't know why we do that. We use fear for power. When we smell fear, we, we attack. And when that happens, it, it makes us captives. When someone, when someone uses our fear against us, we become captives to that person. We become enslaved. We, we don't experience freedom in those situations. And that's the very story that, that has been written about here in the book of Galatians. We've talked about Galatians 2 where Paul recounts the stories for the last couple of weeks. And, and essentially what's happened is uh, Paul has shared the good news of Christ with the Galatian people. And then this group of Judaizers or false teachers have come in and, and realized that they were afraid that they weren't doing this Jesus thing right. And they capitalized on that fear so that they could be in a position of power and told them, you have to be, you have to be a Jew to be a Christian. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to follow all the laws if you want to really be free in Christ. And so Paul recounts that whole story for him. And then we come here to, to Galatians 3. And Paul just, he, he like, he's, he's retold the story and he says, all right, now it's time to level with you. You're foolish, he says in verse 1, right? You foolish Galatians. You foolish Galatians. You hear the good news of Jesus Christ you know, you know that Jesus has saved you, and yet now you're questioning whether or not you're actually free in Him. You know that Jesus saved you, but you're not sure that He can actually change your story and your life and your current situation. He goes on to say, who has bewitched you? It's an old word, right? But when you, when you study that word, the, the word literally means like somebody has come in and, and like overtaken your brain. Like they put you in a funk. And he's like, you guys are in a funk. Like you, I've told you about this Jesus guy and now you've, you've given all of that away. They were afraid. They were afraid to exercise their freedom and their faith. And so... I think we're forced to ask the question as we encounter God's Word. Have we taken on that same fear? Have we maybe heard the good news of Jesus Christ? Maybe at, maybe at VBS 20 years ago. Maybe five minutes ago when I first shared it at the beginning of the service. Maybe a, a couple of years ago. Have we, have we heard the good news of Jesus? Maybe we've even accepted it. We've been baptized. Have we done all that? Have we thought about being free in Christ? And yet, we find ourselves tiptoeing in fear. Am I doing the right thing? Am I doing what Jesus would want me to do? Have we trusted God to save us, but not to change our stories? Are we stuck at what, whatever level of faith that God has brought us to, right? I think sometimes we feel like, man, uh, this, is, this is the best I can do. I'd like, you don't know my story. Uh, this is the best I can do. This is the, the, the top end of my faith. You're not going to see me do any more than what I'm doing right now. When you think about trusting God more, what are you afraid of? When you think about what your life could be if you really expressed your freedom in Christ, what could it be? What could God use you for as opposed to, to, to being afraid of what maybe other people would say? Or think. You see, to have faith in Jesus 
is to face our fears. And when we face our fears, we unlock freedom in Christ. So as we think about that, Paul's going to break this down in this passage, and he's going to do it by appealing to the very thing that they're afraid of, right? So the Galatians were afraid that they were not living um, a Jewish life, a life that was maybe governed by the law. And so Paul actually takes this passage, he throws this question out there, and he says, are you afraid that you're not doing this faith in Jesus thing right? Well, let me show you from Scripture how it's supposed to be done. And so we're going to go through that, and then at the very end, he, he makes this big statement, which is our big idea for today, in verses 14, uh, 13 and 14. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So let's back up and understand this a little bit. Uh, you're saying, because the first thing is this, right? Are you saying, Blake, Blake, are you saying that I'm cursed? Are you saying that I'm cursed? Galatians 3.10 says this, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed, has, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. For all who rely on works of the law. For all of us who would rely on the good things that we would do. For who would rely on their church attendance. For who would rely on, on stuff that we can accomplish. They're cursed. Romans 14.23 goes on to explain like what this looks like. It says, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. Because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And this is a this is a, like a tough passage to swallow because what he's saying here is if you're if you're walking along in life and you begin to doubt, am I doing the right thing? A lot of times, then if we continue on in that, we're actually living in sin because we're not living by faith. Anything that does not proceed from faith is sin. James four seventeen is another one that that really brings us face to face with this. He says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. It was really interesting. I uh, uh, I posted this verse on Facebook, um, I don't know, a week ago maybe. And um, it was really interesting to see some of the responses on there because there was a, a, a friend of mine, uh, an older gentleman from a, a previous church, and uh, his initial response and comment to this, this post was, boy, am I in trouble. <laughs> right? Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is a sin. Boy, am I in trouble. And I think so often when we think about our sin, that's our first response, right? Boy, am I in trouble. And then like later it clicks with us, oh yeah, God saves us from our sins. So are you saying, Blake, that I'm cursed? Well, well, yes, we are. So often we're trapped by our sin and we don't even realize it. We don't even realize what's happening in us until we come face to face with us. And so we find ourselves in this, this situation where we realize we've trusted God to save us from our sins, but not to, to change and, and let Him take those sins away. Paul goes on in verse 11, and he says, Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. And he's actually quoting a verse from Habakkuk. Habakkuk 2.4. And Habakkuk 2.4 says this, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. You know, when we are relying on our sins, or on ourself, pardon me, when we're relying on ourself to get out of, of the chains that we may have experienced in life, we just end up tired, we end up exhausted, and we end up broken down. 
I guess another way to say that might be is that when you don't, when you won't die to yourself, yourself begins to die. When you won't die to yourself, yourself begins to die. It becomes a warning to us then when, when we're tired. It becomes a warning to us when we're exhausted and, and broken down. You know, so often in our culture today, um, and, and I, I do this myself, busyness becomes a badge of honor. Exhaustion, tiredness, you know, we, we hold people up who are hustling uh, to the point where, where they're broken down. But what if, what if we've used that as a way of relying on the works of the law, of relying on ourself? What if that's not a badge of honor? What if it's rather is a sign that, that we've lacked faith in the God who saved us to change us? I read often from this, uh, from this devotional, it's called Returning to Holiness, and there's a whole chapter on self-reliance, the sin of self-reliance. It lists uh, some questions for reflection that, I mean, I could repeat them, but I'm just going to give them credit. So it says, God told you to do something and yet you've tried to ignore Him? Has God told you to do something you've yet to do? They're going to get harder. <laughs> Is God telling you to stop something that you're still doing? Is there some point that you know you're resisting God's voice? Have you been unwilling to fully lay family, relationships, or work on the altar of, sur of surrender? Has God asked you to let go of something that's really not an overt sin, but it is a hindrance? You know, so often in this life, we rely on ourself. In our culture, in our day and age, in our time, it may be the single most thing that keeps us trapped and keeps us from experiencing the freedom of Christ, ourself. Relying on ourselves to make our lives better. We hold on to what we've done because we're afraid that letting go of what we've done will change who we are. Our identities are wrapped up in our accomplishments and our achievements and our success. How many things we can get done in a day. And so when Jesus says, I, I need you to lay that down too if you really want to experience His freedom in Christ, it's, it's hard. It's hard because when we feel like we let those things go, we're letting go a piece of ourselves our identity, we become trapped. And when we're trapped, we compare ourselves to others to make ourselves feel more free. But in all reality, we're still cursed. We're cursed by the law. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So how did Jesus become a curse? I thought Jesus was 100% God, 100% man, lived a perfect life. I thought Jesus was our Savior. How did Jesus become a curse? How could that be true? Well, Paul writes about that, and he references a verse in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23. Jesus knew the law, right? Jesus knows all things. He is God. And so he would have known that this is written in the law. And it says uh, in verse 23, it's talking about people in this verse who have broken the law and their punishment is to be hanged. And it said, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed 
by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Jesus knew, right? Jesus would have known that, that as he was hanging on the cross, as he was being hanged on a tree for sins that he didn't commit, for wrongs that he did not do, that he would become a curse. That he would become a curse. But he did it because he loves you. He did it because he loves you. He did it because he doesn't want you to be cursed. You know, this word redeemed, it's used multiple times in the New Testament, and, and oftentimes it's a different word in the original language, in the Greek. And, and those different words just breathe a ton of life into what it means for Jesus to redeem us. And this word here used in Galatians literally means to buy back out of a slave market. To buy back out of a slave market. Do you realize what that means? That means that, that when we are stuck in our sin, and we are stuck on ourselves, when we are stuck in this self-reliance, when we are, when we are stuck by the things of this life, it, we are slaves to them. We are trapped. We have no hope. And Jesus, Jesus, he, he came to redeem us from that, to buy us back out of that. To say, I will take their place so that they might live in freedom. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if that scene were actually to play itself out? That you were slaves. That you were a slave. And Jesus walked up and said, Take me instead. Jesus went outside the city gates to die on the cross. He became a curse for you so that he could buy you out of the slavery that so often happens within the walls of who you are. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this idea that we're trapped by our sin and that, that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse of the law? We have to face our fear. We have to face our fear. I want you to read with me, if you would, from Galatians 3, 2-6. through 6. Paul wanted nothing more for the Galatians than for them to face their fear and to live in the freedom of Christ. And he realized that the only way for them to face their fear was if he asked them piercing questions. If he asked them questions that helped them realize the truth of the matter. Because it is in truth that we're set free. It's in truth that we realize that our fears are invalid. And so he writes this. Let me ask you only this, Paul says. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing your faith? So he, he draws back on their experience and he says, you remember when you first accepted Christ? How did you get the Spirit? Did you have to do something extra? Did, did, was it something that you did when the Spirit came into your life? Or was it simply a gift of God? Right? That's the first question he asked them. And then he says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, because the obvious answer, right, is like that is a gift of God. God gave them the Spirit. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Oh, that's a great question. If God was the one who started this work in you, if God was the one who totally changed your life when you met Him in, the, in, the, in salvation, right, then what's changing you now? Is it, is it your good works? Are you the one who's creating change in your life? Or is it God's grace towards you in the day today? 
Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. You have to face your fears. You have to face the fears that God has placed in your life. Because fear captures you by telling you that there's nothing you can do to make a difference in people's lives until you get your life together. That's a fear, right? You're afraid of your own sin. But the truth is, God has blessed you to be a blessing. That's what he blessed Abraham with, and that's what he continues to bless each of us with. That's his promise. Fear captures you by telling you that you're alone in the journey. You know, it's, it's, it's really funny. When we struggle with this sin of self-reliance, that often leads to isolation. We feel like we're the only ones who can help ourselves. You're afraid of being alone. We're afraid of being alone. But the truth is that every single person in this room wants and needs more community and wants to be more connected to each other than they currently are. Every single person wants that. Whether it's your first time, it's your 30th time, we all want to be more connected to each other and and more encouraged by each other. Fear captures us, fear captures you by telling you that that you could never do that. Fill in the blank, whatever that is. It, It captures you and says, you're never good enough to do this. Your story would never allow you to be a part of this or to do this. And you're afraid of of failing. You're afraid of failing. But the truth is, as Jeff preached last week from Galatians 2, you no longer live, but it's Christ living in you that makes all things possible. Fear captures you by telling you that your past story is, is too much to overcome. Your past story is, is you know, you are too poor. You are too sheltered. You are too unloved. You are too mistreated. You are too misled. You are too whatever. That's what fear tells you. Fear tells you that you're afraid of others' perception of you. But the truth is that God doesn't want to just save your soul. He wants to rewrite your story too for the glory of His name. As Paul's trying to convince the Galatian people that they are truly free in Christ, he appeals to their own experience. He appeals to the Scriptures. But he also tells a story of a man named Abraham. Abraham was the beginning of the Jewish story. His his story is one of a promise from God that would last for generations to come, even to our generation today. And his point in doing this, right, was to these false teachers, if you want to appeal to the Old Testament and tell these people that they should be trapped by the law or trapped by circumcision, then, then let me show you about a promise that God made before any of that was a reality. Paul was going to take them back to God's promise before the law. And he reminds them of that in verses 7-9. through nine. He says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. You know, if you don't know Abraham's story, back in Genesis 12, Abraham's just living his life, right? He's just, he's just trying to make it by. And God disrupts him. He interrupts his life. And he speaks to him and he says, I want you to go. I want you to follow me and I'm going to bless you. You will be the father of many nations. 
And I'm blessing you to be a blessing. So Abraham goes in faith, right? He has that moment with God where he trusts God to save him through, through his going. But then the very next thing Abraham does is he goes to Egypt and he's afraid. He's afraid. He's afraid of the king of Egypt. And so he looks at his wife and he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell him that you're my sister. He was afraid of man. Abraham, he didn't face his fear in the moment, but then he quickly learned. And you see this playing out in Abraham's story again and again and again, that, that he would come up against his own fears, whatever his fears were. Maybe it was someone of power. Maybe it was a sin in his life. Maybe it was something or something, someone that he had never addressed or never resolved conflict with. And he learned to face his fears, even facing the fear of sacrificing his own son. And when he faced those fears, God was always faithful to provide. And we read about Abraham's faith then again in Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 12, it says, Therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Abraham's faith was great in the face of fear. What does faith look like? It's described in Hebrews 11 as this. Faith is assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. And then in Hebrews 12, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We can't just trust Jesus to save us. We have to trust him to change our story. Here's what's at stake. Every person in your neighborhood that, that hasn't experienced true freedom in Christ, every person in your office, every, every person in your family, every person in Shelby County that hasn't experienced the freedom of Christ, they need, they need you to give them a picture of truly living free in Christ. A picture of someone who isn't bound, who isn't bound by the things of their past. Unhindered by sin throwing off the weights of this world, seeking the city that is to come. We need more pictures of that. To have faith, a genuine faith, is to face our fear. And to face our fear is to unlock freedom. The good news of Jesus Christ that we read in, in Hebrews 12 is that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, a place with freedom like no other. And Jesus has shown you the way to get there. You get there by believing in Him, having faith that Jesus saves you from your sins and changes your story forever, one day at a time. The band's going to come. 
And Gary is going to come and lead us in a time of response. And uh, before we do that, I just want to take a moment to pray and, uh, and ask that God would meet us in our faith. God, I pray this morning that uh, as we consider what we're afraid of, what has captivated, what is, what is taking control of our lives, that you would help us to have faith that you meet us there and, and break those chains. God, don't let us be captive to our stories. Don't let us be captive to ourselves, but help us to experience true freedom in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.